I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who is conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. On the third day he rose again, he ascended into heaven, he is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Greetings and salutations. Welcome to another episode of Coffee, the Bible, and Paige. I am your caffeine-imbued host, Paige. Here is my coffee. And together, they all sang, beautifully, gloriously sang. In the beginning, coffee. And lo, it was very good. And it is. Well, today we are in chapter 21 of Second uh, Samuel, and uh, the story of David is over. We pretty much finished it, with the exception of a few last words, and and then in the beginning of First Kings, he hands the kingdom over to Solomon. But uh, so this last couple chapters uh, are they're add-ons, they're addendums, if you will. At least it appears to be that way to me. Uh, because this, especially this chapter here, it kind of goes back and and recaps a couple things about David, a couple battles about David that uh, weren't mentioned before, and um, they it doesn't appear to me to be in a in the chronological chronological order of things. It's just like I said, some add-ons that the writer was putting in there about David that he felt we needed to know. Um, I'm gonna be really honest. I read through this and nothing jumped out at me. Sometimes that happens. But at the same time, that kind of gets me a little excited because God has never let me down. He's always shown me something out of even a passage of Scripture that appears to have nothing for me in it. Like I said, I read through it. I went through, looked through some commentaries and some study Bible stuff, and nothing jumps out at me, which kind of makes me wonder what God's getting ready to do, like right now. <laughs> This is where the rubber meets the road. So before we get started, though, I want to remind you, you got this little logo up here. Where are we? Yeah, there we are. Got this little logo here. Blessed is a man. Psalms 1. Basically, that's the foundation of my uh, love with the Bible. Because it, it says, blessed is a man. who, And then it talks about it doesn't sit in the seat of scoffers, etc. But it said, and who delight, his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in it, he meditates day and night. He'll be like a tree planted by streams of living water. His leaves won't wither and everything he does prospers. Well, the word to meditate on scripture is to talk to yourself, to talk aloud to yourself. And that's kind of what I like to do. My entire life, I have worked my way through problems verbally. For some reason, I'm unable to cipher out the solution to a problem unless I can talk my way through it. That's just my way of doing business. I do it with my music. I do it with Bible study. Any problems, I like to just talk my way through them. So that's what I do with these scriptures. I take a chapter, I read it, 
And as I'm reading it, I talk to myself about it as I'm going through them. I call it thinking with my mouth open. So join me as I think with my mouth open. Get your coffee and your Bible and join me as I think with my mouth open. All right, let's get started. Chapter 21. During the reign of David, there was a famine for three successive years. All right, so first of all, this just this sets the framework for this, this passage. It's sometime during the reign of David, no specific time. During the reign of David, there was a famine for three successive years. So David sought the face of the Lord. The Lord said, it is on account of Saul and his bloodstained house. It is because he put the Gibeonites to death. Now the king summoned the Gibeonites and spoke to them. Now the Gibeonites were not a part of Israel, but they were survivors of the Amorites. The Israelites had sworn to spare them, but Saul and his zeal for Israel and Judah had tried to annihilate them. All right, Saul wasn't under the direction of God. This wasn't a religious fervor within which he tried to wipe these people out. This is a nationalistic thing. They were These people were settled in Saul's homeland, in the tribe of Benjamin's homeland, and he wanted to rid the land of all that was not Jewish. All right, so uh, David is going to try to make compensation for that, for these people. So he brings them in. David asked the Gibeonites, what shall I do for you? How shall I make atonement so that you will bless the Lord's inheritance? The Gibeonites answered him, we, we have no right to demand silver or gold from Saul or his family, nor do we have the right to put anyone in Israel to death. David burrows down a little bit more specifically. What do you want me to do? They answered the king, well, as for the man who destroyed us and plotted against us so that we've been decimated and have no place anywhere in Israel, let seven of his male descendants be given to us to be killed and their bodies exposed before the Lord at Gibeah of Saul, the Lord's chosen one. I don't get that. I'm going to be really honest. I don't understand that. But that's what they wanted. So the king said, I will give them to you. And the king spared Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, because of the oath before the Lord between David and Jonathan, son of Saul. But the king took Armani and Mephibosheth, another Mephibosheth, the two sons of his daughter Rizpah, whom she had borne to Saul, together with the five sons of Saul's daughter Merab, whom she had borne to Adriel, son of Barzillai, the Mehethalite. He handed them over to the Gibeonites, who killed them and exposed their bodies on a hill before the Lord. All seven of them fell together. They were put to death during the first days of the harvest, just as a barley harvest was beginning. Rizpah, daughter of Ai, took sackcloth and spread it for herself on a rock. From the beginning of the harvest till the rain poured down from the harvest heavens on the bodies, she did not let the birds touch them by day or the wild animals by night. When David was told, what Ahaz's daughter Rizpah, Saul's concubine, had done, he went and took the bones of Saul and his son Jonathan from the citizens of Jabesh-Gilead. They had stolen their bodies from the public square where the Philistines had hung them after they struck Saul down in Gibeah, Gilboa. 
David brought the bones of Saul and his son Jonathan from there, and the bones of those who had been killed and exposed were gathered up. They buried the bones of Saul and his son Jonathan in the tomb of Saul's father Kish, Azela, and Benjamin, and did everything the king commanded. After that, God answered prayer in behalf of the land. All right. Well, if you remember the story of Saul, he was killed, and the Philistines took his body and uh, and his head, I, I should say, and uh, nailed it up outside their city gates. And the people from uh, Jabesh Gilead went and retrieved the body and the, the heads of Saul and Jonathan and brought them back home, and they buried him there. Well, David went and got their bones and took it to Saul's father's tomb and buried them there along with the seven descendants of Saul that he had handed over to the Gibeonites. All right. Now, again, I don't understand that. Um, there's just something in, in it. You know, sometimes I run across things in the Bible that I just don't get. And that is not a sin. That's just lack of understanding on my part. I don't understand why David had to do this in order to get rain to come. I I don't. I don't understand why uh, anybody does anything like this. I have a, in my, I'm a very visual person. All right, when I read something, I kind of see it like it's a movie, right? And in my brain, I have a box. This is me being visual again. In my brain, I have a box and it has, and in this box, I put all the things I don't understand. It's like I open up the lid and I put things into the box that I don't understand. And it has a big red button on the front of that box and it says, uh, I believe. I know it's silly. This is the way I, this is the way my brain works. And when I put something that I don't understand in that box, I push the I believe button. I believe that God is just. I believe that God is good. I believe that God is right. I believe God is sovereign. I believe that even if I don't understand that thing that's in the box, God does. And within the context of his character, his decision in that regard was a right one, even if I don't get it. This is one of those things I'm putting in the box. I don't understand why seven male descendants who had done nothing had to be handed over to this group of people to kill in order for rain to come. Don't get it. It's not a sin. It doesn't make God I I, I it doesn't make God cruel. It doesn't make God mean, unjustifiably mean. It just means I don't get it. There's something here I don't understand. When I don't understand something in scripture, I put it in my I believe box and I trust the character of God that his decision was the right one in that case because I don't know enough to make a proper judgment. I know enough to see that I don't like the way this happened that's not a sin. I believe that God is just. I believe God is good. I believe God is right in all that he said and does. All that he says and does. 
So I push this in my I believe box and I punch the I believe button and I walk away. Now, every now and again, I'll come back to something like this and I'll pull it out and I'll look at it and see if I understand it. And if I understand it that day, then cool, it stays out of the box. But if I still don't get it, I put it back in the box, punch the I believe button, and then I'm off. All right. Now we're going to, he's just this author. He's he's uh, told that story about the Gibeonites. Now he's going to jump back in and we're going to talk some more about the Philistines. Once again, there was a battle between the Philistines and Israel. There was always battles between Israel and Philistines. David went down with his men to fight against the Philistines and he became exhausted. Now, I kind of think this is towards the end of David's life as a general. He's an old he's getting long in the tooth and he's getting tired. He's not a young man anymore. The trouble with us old men is that sometimes we still think like we're young men and we still remember what it was like to be young and vibrant and vital and strong. And we set out to do things that we should have been able to do when we were young and we can't do it anymore because frankly, we're old. David is getting long in the tooth and what he used to do unendingly now exhausts him. And he is exhausted in this military campaign. And Ishbanab, one of the descendants of Rapha, whose bronze spearhead weighed 300 shekels and who was armed with a new sword, said he was going to kill David. Now, who's this Rapha guy? Well, it's actually a group of people. It's apparently within Philistia, there was a community or several communities of people who were unusually big, large, genetically giants, if you will. Um, this was one of them. Uh, I have in one of the study Bibles I would look at, it says the term Raphaim sometimes applied to such people as, and they give a bunch of names that I can hardly pronounce, all distinguished for their size and their strength. They're one of these groups of people were the Anakim. And supposedly the Anakim were driven from the hill country of Israel and Judah by Joshua, but they remained in the Philistine area cities of Gath, Gaza, and Ashdod. Gath, that's where Goliath comes from. Goliath was part of them, was one of these giants. So apparently there was a, there was within the Philistine world a group that were unusually large and became their giant heroes of the military, I guess, like, like Goliath was. But Abishai, son of Zerai, again, this is the brother of Joab, he came to David's rescue and he struck the Philistine down and killed him. Well, it looks like this Philistine was coming on da- up on David and was going to kill him and was in David's nephew, Abishai, came to David's rescue and killed him. Now, this is interesting to me. Uh, there's this conflict that we've noted between David and Joab and his brother Abishai. And David was afraid of them for some reason. But odds, but oddly enough, it seems like the place that they get along best is on the battlefield. And I kind of, I this is just me thinking with my mouth open, right? This is me thinking with my mouth open. I, I kind of think that David is a warrior first. 
that that is where he is at home and most comfortable is in the battlefield. Whenever he has idle time in his hands, he always seems to do screwy things and mess things up. And I kind of get the feeling that the relationship between him, Joab, and Abishai is at its best when they're in the battlefield together. It's like they enjoy fighting. When I was in the Navy, <clears throat> I was in the Navy, uh, I had the honor and privilege on several occasions to meet some SEALs. That's the ex Special Forces component of the United States Navy. And these were warriors in the nth degree of the word. And I met a few of them that lived for battle. One that I met uh, was pushed out of the SEALs force because he enjoyed it too much. He went, he would, kept volunteering to go back to Vietnam. This is toward the end of the Vietnam conflict. And he had already made four tours of Vietnam and he wanted to go back again. And it, they, it was their opinion that he loved fighting too much. And they, they put him into another part of the Navy and they were working with him to get his mental health under control. But he just, he lived to fight. That's what he loved to do. And he was a frightening individual. At one point, I had to wake him up for a watch. And I was told, I was on watch. I was told by the watch captain that when you go to get him up to relieve you, knock on his door and then step back from the door. I did that. Knocked on the door, stepped back from the door. And the door was thrown open. And there he was. Still in the thrall of sleep. I mean, you see he was waking up, but he had a knife in his hand. That's how he lived. He lived for the battle. He lived for the fight. I kind of get the feeling here that David, Joab, and Abishai lived for the battle. They were brothers in arms. And even though there was an incredible conflict and tension between David and Joab. I get the feeling that as warriors, they did appreciate each other. This is just me. Maybe I'm just taking uh, taking license here. I don't know. But I, to me, it would seem if Joab and Abishai wanted David dead, that Abishai would have not come to David's rescue. He would have let the giant kill David. David was exhausted. He wasn't doing well. I think... This would have been a time for Abishai or Joab to let David die, and then they could step in and take over running the country. But for whatever reason, Abishai rescued David. And then David's men said something pretty interesting. They swore to him saying, Never again will you go with us into battle, so that the lamp of Israel will not be extinguished. You're getting a little bit long in the tooth, David. You got to stay home. At that time, in the course of time, there was another battle of the Philistines at Gob. At that time, Sibachai, the Hushathite, killed Saph, one of the descendants of Rapha. Again, probably another giant. In another battle with the Philistines at Gob, Ethanan, son of Jer, the Bethlehemite, killed the brother of Goliath, the Gittite, who had a spear with a shaft like a weaver's rod. Now, there are some people who think that this, that Ethanan, is another name for David. Sometimes people had different names, several names. I don't know. I haven't figured that out. 
uh, one of the commentaries I read said that Ethanite was another name for David, and that David killed Goliath, and he also killed the brother of Goliath. Okay, I, I get it. Um, I don't understand that. Again, this is another thing for the I Believe box. But somebody named Ethanin killed the brother of Goliath, another giant, in still another battle, which took place at Gath. By the way, this is where Goliath comes from. It's his hometown. There was a huge man with six fingers on each hand, six toes in each foot, 24 in all. He also was descended from Rapha. When he taunted Israel, Jonathan, son of Shimea, David's brother, killed him, another one of David's nephews. These four were descendants of Roth, Rapha and Gath, and they fell at the hands of David and his men. All right. That, that wraps up chapter 22. Now, the what what do I get from this? Well, not a whole lot. But it helps add to the understand my understanding of David a little bit. And it with a little use of my imagination, I can see I'm understanding the relationship between David and Joab and Abishai, maybe a little. I get the feeling that they were brothers in arms and they were at their best with each other when they were in battle with each other, with a common enemy. It's only when there wasn't a common enemy that it seems like Joab and Abishai uh, just couldn't curb. They couldn't make the switch from warrior to citizen. Um, again, this is, again, me thinking with my mouth open because that's what I do here. The relationship between David and Joab is a complex one to me. And Abishai, because he's Joab's brother. And this, I see here, the fact that if they really wanted the downfall of David, the death of David, that Abishai would not have rescued him, as we read about in this chapter. So, what does that tell us? I don't know. But it just helps, like I said, it helps me fill in the gaps in the story of David. And I have... Uh, a little bit more information that allows me to make a little bit more of a judgment about David than I had before? I don't know. But you know what? Sometimes reading the scriptures is like that. You walk away with more moments scratching your head than you do with uh, rock-solid truth, <laughs> I guess. But we're seeing David. We're at the end of David's story. And these are just a few parenthetical comments thrown in there to fill in the a little bit more information about David and and some of the other people. And I don't understand why the the Gibeonites wanted the descendants of Saul. Um, I understand they wanted justice, and I understand that Saul deserved to be punished for what he did to them. But his descendants, what did, uh, unless, unless, unless there's something here we don't know, that maybe Saul's descendants treated the Gibeonites poorly. And this was justice for them. Maybe Saul's descendants took Saul's attitude towards them and continued to act on it. We see that a lot. Generation after generation after generation teaches their progeny how to behave. Like, for instance, here's a great example. I grew up in Alaska. I grew up in Southeast Alaska. My father 
was one of these kind of men that he didn't care what color your skin was. He didn't care where you came from. If your word was good, that was enough for him. We grew up in a primarily black neighborhood in, in Fairbanks, Alaska. Um, I was We were the only white family for blocks around, and we never had any problem with our neighbors. This is during the Civil Rights era, the 60s. Um, there were issues in Alaska during that time and along, along racial lines. Dad never had a problem with any of our black neighbors because he treated them fairly. And they recognized that and they treated him fairly. So I grew up realizing that that's how you treat people, fairly. Well, I come down to the South. I'm in the Navy years and years later. I come down to the South and my first foray into the South here in Atlanta. And I'm getting my uh, truck fixed at the company I was working with. They wanted me to take it to a shop and get it set up. And this beautiful black lady drives up in this decked out Mercedes and she's getting her car repaired and we're chatting. turns out she's a vice president with RJ Reynolds. She's obviously very wealthy, obviously very well off, very well educated, wonderful lady to talk to. It was, we're having a great conversation and another black lady drives up in a totally tricked out uh, customized van. Turns out she is a millionaire that has a whole chain of uh, beauty salons throughout the Southeast. And obviously very successful. Again, very well educated, very well spoken, beautiful woman. Uh, and I had a wonderful time talking with them. I just They were filling me in on what, it, you know, things to see, things to go to, that kind of stuff, because I was new to this, this area. And I went up to pick up my van and the man behind the counter points at those two ladies and says, they're the reason my property values are going down. And for the life of me, I could not understand that. I said, mister, if that much money moved in next to me, next door to me, I'd be the first one on their porch with a plate of cookies. He just disgustedly tossed my keys at me and turned around and walked away. That was my introduction to the South. He had been raised, obviously, obviously he had been raised in a culture that taught him to despise black people. I had been raised in a culture that honored people based on their character traits, not on the color of their skin. My father and his father and his father before him, that's what they passed on to their generations, to me. Apparently this gentleman behind the counter had a totally different experience. He saw black people as inferior and as not worth his time. You're taught this by your parents, by your grandparents, by your aunts, by your uncles. You're taught this by your family, your culture. So perhaps, perhaps, the Saul's descendants treated these people poorly, period, because Saul had. And when Saul was king, what Saul wanted, Saul got. And maybe he just passed on to his descendants, this is how you treat this group of people. They're not Israelites. So maybe they wanted justice, not just for what Saul had done, but for what had been put on them by his descendants. Am I making stuff up? Probably. I'm, but I'm trying to add a logical extension to this. I know how human nature works, because I'm a human. So I can see where Saul's descendants would treat these people poorly and therefore they would want justice for that and, and try to bring this behavior to a stop. Don't know kind of where I go with that. 
Anyway, um, there's some stuff here to think about, but I am going to hit the bricks. This is Paige. Here's my coffee. Mm. By the way, it's still good. Have a great day. Bye-bye.